This is Maya Anderson with Becker's Women's Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Susan Firth, Chief Scientific Officer at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We will be talking about what is occurring in the pediatric space that Dr. Firth is most excited about, as well as the gender divide in academic medicine. Dr. Firth, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. And to start us off, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Thanks very much. I'm pleased to have the opportunity. I'm Susan Firth. I am recently initiated my role as the Chief Scientific Officer at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Research Institute. I am first and foremost a physician scientist or a clinical investigator. I trained in pediatrics and then in uh, nephrology, so I'm a children's kidney doctor. But the majority of my career has been really in doing research at the clinical end of the patient um, spectrum of research, doing clinical trials and observational studies. I came to research really from a background, family members of mine were medical doctors and research doctors, but I really came to research because I was inspired to try to have the skills to ask questions and answer questions through studies designed to find better understanding of the underlying causes of the diseases of the children that I took care of and better ways to treat those diseases. Great. Thank you. And what would you say are the three biggest issues in pediatrics today? There are a number of things going on in pediatrics today that have been underlying challenging issues, but the events of the last 18 months with the pandemic have really brought these things to light and um, really catalyzed and exacerbated some of the problems that we had. One of the major things that has been a challenge always, but has really been exacerbated by the pandemic, are issues around behavioral health and mental health in children. These are problems that are uh, challenging to solve. Access to care is a problem. And with the stresses of the pandemic, with isolation, with children not being in school, these issues and the number of problems that we're seeing in a place like the Children's Hospital have really increased. So focus on um, managing these issues, uh, developing services, that children can access and families can access. This is a real issue in pediatrics today. So that's one. Another issue, again, that I think has been brought to light over the last 18 months is really um, issues around vaccines and access to vaccines. We've seen the remarkable development of technologies to accelerate our abilities to develop vaccines, but we still see challenges with delivering vaccines across the population. This is also true in children. I'm really excited that there will now be opportunities for you know, COVID vaccines to be uh, distributed more widely and available to children so we can keep uh, kids in school and keep folks healthy. The third thing that I think is a big issue in pediatrics is really, again, underlying um, health disparities that we've seen for many, many years and in, in many arenas in healthcare, not, uh, not only in children, but, you know, it's been, it's widespread also in adults. I think that 
um, facilitating access to care for all children so they can access, you know, primary care, uh, needed childhood wellness, as well as specialty care is something that we, we continue to lean into here at CHOP. And uh, it's an issue not just in Philadelphia, but broadly. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is occurring in the pediatric space that you're most excited about today? Since I trained in pediatrics and, and did my research training, the knowledge that we have about underlying biology and contributors to disease in children and our, our opportunities to design new therapies to treat those things has really accelerated. So in that space, um, some of the things that we're especially excited about and are developing in, in uh, children and making accessible to children and families in our region and beyond, there's really three things. One are cell and gene therapies. So we've been able to um, harness in individual cells and then um, treat those cells in such a way that you can, uh, for example, um, make those cells be able to target certain disease cells, like in cancer. This, these are called, um, this, for example, CAR T cell therapy is an example of this. And uh, so new ways to treat previously untreatable uh, cancers and also uh, new ways now these are being used to treat potentially sickle cell disease or other uh, diseases with underlying genetic diagnoses. So we can uh, deliver healthy genes or, and gene products to children who have underlying genetic diagnoses. So this is one really exciting area that um, is happening in the pediatric space. The other, a second exciting area, and I mentioned you know, since I trained our knowledge of basic biology, the information about the genome, about, you know, when genes are transferred to, are uh, transcribed to make um, proteins or other elements of metabolism, our ability to measure all these things and understand biology and the information associated with that has grown exponentially. So like the rest of the world, we in medicine are now adapting technology so we can look at patterns in this big data that will help us define, you know, courses of illness, like among kids with a certain disease, who has this particular pattern of biomarkers that show that they are likely to get worse, or who has a pattern of biomarkers that shows that they are more likely to stay healthy. So we're, we're able to use big data and um, tools for discovery to identify targets that we might be able to treat with new therapies. So this big data and our ability to leverage huge amounts of information is, is, really, a, is really going to impact children's health over the next decade. And the final thing that I am excited about that's occurring in um, pediatrics is really the um, the uh, cross-disciplinary work that's happening now with, with people with a variety of levels of expertise in different areas really coming together to focus on child health. And that's 
you know, for the big data, informaticians, computer scientists, um, people with expertise in genetics and genomics. And bringing this kind of expertise to the table, I think, will really help us develop new treatments to help children and their families. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thank you so much. Moving on to a new topic, a recent analysis published in the JAMA Open Network showed that medical journal articles with women as the primary and senior authors receive fewer citations on average compared to those authored by men. What are your thoughts on the ways the healthcare community can bridge the gender divide and work to ensure that women in academic medicine are equally valued and promoted for their work? This is a really important question. I spoke a little bit in the beginning about my background and, you know, a key issue in my career has really been about mentoring women and others from diverse backgrounds, less well-represented in science, technology, engineering, and medicine fields to really bring up the diversity in our field. And I think your question touches on that. There have been women in medicine for a long time and women in academic medicine, but our numbers, when you look at the most senior levels in the field, really are less than those of men. And I'll give an example. So for example, cross-section, if one looked at women entering medical school, there's actually equal numbers of women and men entering medical school. There may even be slightly more women at this time. When you look at early stages of academic careers, people who are instructors or assistant professors, and uh, even among those focused on research, there are equal numbers of women and men. Um, The issue that we see, if you look again at a snapshot even today, is that when you get to more senior levels of of, um, academic medicine, professors or senior scientists, There are many fewer women than men, and the causes of this are really multiple. There often are different pressures on men and women in terms of usual expectations around parenting and caregiving. And much of the hardest time of an academic career when one's trying to establish one's own science and to publish your findings, a lot of that happens at the same time as um, young people are having children and growing their families. And traditionally, the responsibilities for those things often fall along gender lines. So women um, more often don't progress in their academic careers, probably because of competing priorities. Uh, There are also challenges with mentorship of women. And uh, recently with COVID, we've seen the, the challenges across fields, not just in medicine, but with women leaving the workforce. So there's a number of things, I think, that contribute to what you're, what you're describing in that JAMA um, Open Network article. I think there are fewer women in leadership roles in science who are leading their own labs and therefore having higher impact citations. And there are also potentially some implicit biases Um, unconscious bias in assessing the work of women versus men that contribute to the difference that you're describing. There are a number of things that we are doing and in academic medicine, we need to continue to do to try to ensure that women are equally valued and promoted for their work. One, I mentioned 
is mentorship of women in STEM fields. And this needs to start really early on. We have at CHOP, we, um, our Office of Acab- Academic Training and Outreach div- uh, is involved with a number of programs to promote in science in schools, to promote people from diverse backgrounds to think about science as a career. We have mentorship programs for um, trainees and postdocs across the institution and mentorship committees for junior faculty to try to make sure we invest what we can in in women and people from diverse backgrounds in getting promoted in the academic system. Another thing that we're doing, and actually to ad- address the challenges of COVID, there are a number of um, funding opportunities. People have recognized the number of women leaving science. And here at CHOP, we've developed an internal program where we will allow folks, and it's not just for women, but anybody whose careers are being challenged by parenting obligations or other family obligations to apply for small amounts of funding that can help sort of stop the gap that they have to support another set of research hands in the lab. And so we're trying to promote this program internally to help women stay in science. And um, finally, I think academic and medicine, academic medicine in this arena, we need to pay close attention to how we allocate resources to grow the careers of researchers and how we look at the timing of promotion to make sure that we're checking ourselves because all of us bring some unconscious biases to the work that we do. So we're monitoring our ability to try to promote women and men and people from diverse backgrounds equally in, so they can contribute their talents to science and academic pediatrics. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer and for telling us a little bit about what your hospital is doing to address the issue. Um, And thank you so much for this fascinating discussion. It was very interesting and I thank you for sharing some of your time with us and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you, it's been a pleasure.